Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. Hello and welcome to The Rest is Football with me, Gary Lineker. I'm joined, of course, by Alan Shearer and Micah Richards. Uh, We've got a special episode for you today that's uh, a little bit different from those that we've done before. Uh, That's because we've got a certain guest joining us a little later on. This is something we're going to look to do throughout the season on The Rest is Football uh, whenever there's a big Uh, topical talking point going on within the sport. We'll get someone on to help us uh, look into them in a bit more detail and give their expert insight. Uh, Following the opening weekend of the Premier League, it was, well, the same old story, wasn't it really, with uh, VAR dominating the headlines once again. Uh, And I'm pleased to say that um, Howard Webb, the PGMOL's chief refereeing officer, uh, is joining us later in the show to help us reflect on, well, some of those decisions and understand what is going on this season. Uh, Before we um, get Howard on, though, I I want to look back at some of the major talking points. And the big story of the week, of course, is that the Lionesses are in the World Cup final how about that what an achievement they played so well in that game against Australia didn't they we we had a a conversation about their form and gradually it's got better and better and better obviously the big conundrum is Lauren James she got suspended for for two games now she's available for the final but Ella Toon in that position she was outstanding she took a finish Excellently well, the way she just bent it because there's only when the ball comes to you like that, you you lot are um, a better place to talk about it than me. But there's only one way you could hit it to make it go in the top. But you sort of like brush across the ball, and it was an outstanding finish. The 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 three centre halves, uh, Greenwood, Bright, and Carter, have been exceptional this tournament as well and just a real good feel good factor around the team at times you're worrying how they're going to set up but Serena Vigman 
She always has a way. And just getting to the final is a massive achievement. So well done, the Lions. Are, br- are you bringing Lauren James back in? That's Would a you? Question. That is, that's a conundrum. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those games where the, the final in any final is always tense. And the game's going to be open in the second half. So keep it tight and then bring on Lauren James to get the winner or change the game. So I would keep the winning team from the semi-final. What would you lot do? I was playing in a pro-am with Lee Westwood. There's a big tournament going on at my local course, Close House, the International Series England um, and the Asian Tour. And it's a really good field. And I was lucky enough to play in the pro-am there on, uh, on Wednesday. Whilst the game was going on, I said to the tournament director on the first tee, I said, I know you're not meant to have phones on the on the course, but you cannot <laughs> stop me having a phone today with England in the semi-final. It was my excuse for being shit anyway, because I kept checking my phone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Alan, I have to say, it's great that um, uh, the tune are in a final. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's magnificent. And I mean, when you see, when you're looking at the viewing figures for people watching on uh, on television, it, again they've captured the uh, the nation, the country, and everyone's supporting them. It's uh, it's great to see. And what a what a what a morning Sunday is going to be, isn't it? Eleven o'clock kickoff here in uh, here in England, and wow, what an opportunity again for them! It's just magnificent. Yeah, Spain, of course, um, in the final. Um, it's a horrible question to ask. Are they going to do it? Oh, we've got to back them. We've backed them all the way, haven't we? And we, Mike is right. We've said that. We we we've mentioned about form and just getting through the tournament uh, stage by stage, and they've been able to do that, and their performances have picked up. So. Judging by that, they're going to get better again in the uh, in the final, and of course they're going to do it. I, I, I'd say a couple of things. I mean, a the finishing was superb, wasn't it? That all, all three goals were exceptional. Um, but a word for the for the goalkeeper because they often they, in in the past few years um, the goalkeepers in the women's game have got a lot of stick. Um, but I think the goalkeeping in this tournament has, has showed how much um, they've improved. And and Mary Earps. I mean, she's a hell of a keeper, isn't she? Outstanding. Again, I've worked with her in uh, doing some TV work. And she's. I think what makes her so good is her own self-belief. She's had a, t- a tough run and uh, she wasn't always number one for England. It's only because one of the goalkeepers got injured and she took a, a chance. And it's a confident self-belief that just makes her believe how good she is. And she performs well. She's good with the feet. She made some outstanding saves. And you know what it is? She's calm under pressure. That's what I love about her. Every time someone goes through, she just does a job. She's not after the limelight. She just does her job. So yeah, she's been she's you'd, been great. You'd back her in a penalty shootout as well, wouldn't you? Indeed, I would, yeah. Alan. Well, they've already won one Absolutely. of those. Um, you mentioned calmness there. And I think that's probably the thing that comes out for me, the most of this um, particular team, they do seem to have a, a calm. They don't get overexcited. Um, they don't seem to get too nervous. They don't over-celebrate perhaps when they score or and, and, and they don't seem to be affected uh, when things go against them a little bit in the game. Yeah, but that's, that, that comes from the manager, doesn't it, Gary? I think I, exactly. think I think that started long before the tournament because, as we know, that with the, with the issues through, uh, through injuries that they had, she never panicked, did she? It was just like, yep, yeah, we've got to accept it. We've got to take it. It's happened. We've just got to move on. And I, I think that all comes from the manager. 
Well, let's um, let's all wish them yeah. all the very best in in the final. It, it's been a long time since England won a, <laughs> a football World Cup. That um, it would be truly special. But um, whatever happens, um, they've definitely uh, done us proud in in this tournament. Also. Um, one other issue that's happened um, in midweek uh, since we last spoke um, is that Manchester City uh, Mica have won another trophy, the the Super Cup. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Watching Man City now, they're obviously a, a great team, but Kevin De Bruyne gets a big injury. Gundogan's left, and it seems to me like they're just not, they're not in the groove. It's early stages. Man City always take a little bit of time to, to get going. They have all that possession, but it just feels like to me that something is... Is, is, is missing at this moment in time. Haaland was making so many runs in this game against Seville. Seville was a, a very good team, very compact, know how to de- defend. But there the, the seems like there's a link between the midfield and the tack that, that is missing. I was so happy for Cole Palmer. He scored in the Community Shield and he gets a, 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 another goal. And it was strange that the interview... After with Pep, he's basically saying he's not going on loan. He's either for sale or he's going to be with with the squad, which I thought was interesting. They've been linked with Pakatar, and I, I really do like him, but he's not got to the heights I thought he would before Man City was interested. So it's going to be intriguing to see how the season pans out in terms of creativity. Cole Palmer, well, I mean, it's, it's a hell of a start for the season for him. So do you think he can grab a place in that team? Alan? Yeah, he can get a place in it, but there's no way he's going to replicate what um, Kevin De Bruyne can do. I mean, and it would be unfair of us to even suggest that because we've been going on and on and rightly so about Kevin De Bruyne and how brilliant he is and one of the best players in the world and how much we as forwards would like to be on the end of his passes. So it wouldn't be fair of us to say he's going to come in and, and do what he can do, but there's no doubt about it. He brings a certain and a different talent to that team and he's had a great start to the season, Mike had just said, with his goal a couple of weeks ago, his goal again on uh, on Wednesday evening. Um, yeah, he's, 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 he's an exceptional player, but there's no way he's filling De Bruyne's boots. Since we last spoke, of course, um, the other side in Manchester have been in action. They played Wolves on Monday night. Now, um, we all thought Wolves would struggle this season. I actually had them in my, my bottom three, but I thought they played so well in that game. I was I was thinking about changing my mind. Um, <laughs> the only thing that worries you about Wolves is they... No goals. I mean, they couldn't finish off a bag of crisps, could they really? I mean, they had so many chances in that game, but boy, did they play well, Alan. Yeah, and, and when you consider the small amount of time that um, that Gary O'Neill's had to work with his team, I thought they were really well organised. Um, They're obviously all on the same page, but yeah, their, their big problem last season scoring goals and again the other night I mean it, it looks as if that's going to be the, the same thing again they created so much they did so well um, and of course they were robbed with a decision which I'm sure we're going to get on to but overall in general I thought a lot of their play was um, was excellent uh, uh, Mateus Cunha was, was <laughs> his performance extraordinary he just he just couldn't finish it off but th- that aside he was he caused havoc in United's midfield in particular it, it, it really well I I only seen the, the first half because you've probably seen this week I've been at Old Trafford oh, taking, well, we saw it, <laughs> taking, taking penalties we're getting on to that don't you worry by the way we're getting on to that <laughs> I, I can tell you my record is still zero we goals we know what your record is it's fucking Trafford. useless 
<laughs> Micah, is it true that you're just a shit Gary Neville? <laughs> shit. <laughs> we heard the crowd singing. Was it embarrassing or was it fun? No, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, we did a little bit of, of trading beforehand. Didn't explain like to it. people first, Micah, explain to people first what you were doing and why on earth you were taking penalties at Old Trafford. Well, I didn't know we was allowed to promote different people on there, so I, I was sort of leaving that out. But it was for League of the Own. That's fine. For you League. can promote what you want on it. It's our podcast. So we're sure we, we can want. do what we want, Micah. Wonderful. <laughs> I feel free. <laughs> so, okay, let's go back to the beginning. Um, uh, one of the, the regulars on a League of the Own. As you know, League of the Own, yeah. it is a, a fun sports program. Yeah. So someone came up with the idea... <laughs> Jealous, Alan. Don't be jealous. So someone came up with the idea of going to Old Trafford, me being Manchester City, and Jamie Redknapp being obviously Liverpool, taking penalties at half time. So before that, we had three hours training at the cliff. And for those who don't know, it's old Man United training ground. So much history there. Brilliant. So in training, I was slotting them left, right, <laughs> dig, whatnot. Okay. We arrive at Old Trafford. And you know what it's like, Old Trafford. You get a certain part of love. The fans are nice or whatnot. And you just get them ones who are just looking at you like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, <laughs> So we go out there. We get changed. We're walking down and we're getting so much abuse. What are you doing? What is this fucking shit? What has, what has Old Trafford become now? It's an absolute joke. So the aim is we get three penalties each and yeah. we have to score basically the most. And whoever loses has to wear a Man United shirt. So uh. I go up, I go first, don't I? So I'm going down the touchline and I'm getting abused. I'm getting abused, <laughs> all sorts. But then the, the fans started quite enjoying it. So giving me a bit, but like clapping me and all that. And then I got that thing. You lot have seen, we've talked about my penalty before. And I thought to myself, just relax, just relax. <laughs> what did I do with the first one? I, I hit the post. Shank oh, it. No. Right side of the keeper. The second one, the keeper saves. To <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me you got the third one in. And the third one he saved us. <laughs> Micah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too worried about the penalty misses. I'd be more worried about that fucking tight top he had on. <laughs> it was tight, wasn't it? It, it was, was like tight. His, I thought it was a spray on it was that tight. So I presume that um that you had to wear the uh, Manchester United top then because I surely, surely um he scored one, didn't he, Redknapp? Redknapp scored two and yeah. he shanked one, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He had to he had to do it, didn't he? Look yeah. at me, I'm Jamie Redknapp, absolutely melts. <laughs> yeah. It must have been quite embarrassing having to work not only having not scored one, but also having to put a United top on. Must have been hard. It was it was, it was horrible. Yeah. And it's not the first time I've done that as well. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. But never again. I'm never doing anything <laughs> like that again. I think we all tipped uh, Manchester United um to be in the top four. Um any 
did it put you off? Because they they were. I mean, I know they got three points, um, Alan. But I mean, it's and it's so early in the season. But they looked. I mean, they looked very vulnerable, particularly midfield. They were overrun a bit. Weren't yeah, they? I, I tend to wait for half a dozen games to be gone before yeah. I start and alter or change my uh, my predictions or opinions of what's what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, they've, they it looked as if they've got a lot of work to do, particularly in the midfield area, because they were they were outplayed, outfought, outthought, um, and. They were they looked second best in in the midfield area, so that would be a, a bit of a concern for uh, for me for Man United. And of of course there was that extraordinary decision at the end, and that's the reason that uh, well one of the reasons because we want to talk about perhaps the new laws a little bit, but more about how VAR will work. And um, after the break, uh, we'll talk to Howard Webb about that. So let's take a breather. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to the Rest is Football uh, with me, Gary Lineker, uh, Micah Richards and Alan Shearer. And I'm delighted to say uh, we're joined by Howard Webb, who is obviously in charge of all things VAR uh, these days and referees. And um, Howard, it's been an interesting opening weekend for you. Uh, But before we come to discussing those things, I think we should address the elephant in the room because a certain Alan Shearer uh, still blames you for losing him his job. (laughs) (laughs) Explain yourself, please, Howard. Oh, Alan, Alan, it's taken 10 years, but, you know, obviously uh, people are talking about acknowledging errors at the moment, and I I do have to acknowledge acknowledge that error. Uh, I blame uh, Kevin Nolan. What happened? uh, What happened, Howard? (laughs) It was Newcastle, Fulham, um, by the way, I'm not totally to blame. I only refereed one of those games that you were in charge for. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, Kevin, Kevin had, uh, had been standing on the toes of uh, Mark Schwarzer at, uh, at corners. And I, saw, I had a word with, with Kevin and this corner was awarded. And uh, I saw him do it again. So I, I stopped it. You see referees blowing the whistle, going in, having a word and what have you. So I did that. And I said, look, you know, don't, don't, don't do it. Don't stand on his toes. Uh, anyway, so as the corner's coming in, he moves towards Schwarzer. And I just reacted too quickly and blew and he kind of just stopped short of doing it and Mark Viduka slammed this shot into the top corner like majestically as I'm blowing the whistle thinking oh my goodness I've blown too soon and uh, no VAR, no opportunity to change it. And I spent the rest of the rest of the day thinking, I, I hope Newcastle come back into this game. Uh, and, uh, and and they didn't. And uh, I ended up having to send a player off for, for a professional foul as well, a dog so thing. Uh, and, uh, and Newcastle lost. And then the, I think you went to Villa on the last day, uh, Alan, needing a, a win or a point. I can't remember. And you didn't obviously get it. And uh, I remember I was down at West Ham on the same day thinking, coming off the field thinking, I hope, I hope Newcastle have, uh, have got something out of the game because otherwise that is going to be you know, that's going to be pretty significant, that decision to disallow that goal. Do you forgive him, Alan? Well, we uh, we did get relegated and that uh, that goal did cost us a point and we only got relegated by a point. So, but don't worry, Howard, I don't hold fucking grudges. You're all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't realise we could swear. Oh, you oh, can I swear. swear, you can do what you want, on it. That was yeah, sure. You do what we want. It's a podcast. You're forgiven. Uh, Thanks for coming yeah. on anyway. Thank you. Yeah, very much so. Um, Howard, I suppose as, as, as it's time for kind of admitting mistakes, um, you did so with... Um, one at the weekend. Um, well, it's actually Monday night, wasn't it? At, at Manchester United was probably the biggest, most controversial um, decision at the weekend. You recognised um, that was a mistake. Yeah, yeah, we did. Obviously, like, like any any club uh, going into a new season, we want to start well. We want to start strong, and you know we've we've obviously uh, done a lot of prep work in the in the preseason, and uh, we're actually cranking up our VAR training more than ever before as well. So we were actually in in uh, in the VAR hub on Friday, going through quite a few situations and just trying to drive that consistency. And we we have a philosophy about how we use VAR. I think you're familiar with it. It's around VAR not re-refereeing the game, but sitting there to uh, to protect against those clear errors um and we saw a clear error on on monday night late in the game i was at, i was actually at the game and um it looked a, a penalty honestly speaking from where i was sitting in the stand and uh, i expected when it wasn't given the uh, the referee to uh, to go to the screen and, and have a look at it and and then give the penalty and uh, and when that didn't happen obviously it was really disappointing the uh, the var looked at it um saw that neither uh, the goalkeeper or the the wolves player made contact with the ball dawson headed it back across goal you know, un, unhindered at that point by by Anana, but then there's that coming together as as he saw it between two players who neither got to the ball, but clearly Anana, you know, jumps into the Wolves player and and it should have been intervened upon. So when we get those clear errors 
that happen in the game and we don't rectify those. They make a lot of noise, of course. And, you know, I, I can sit here and say, you know, we, we rectify a lot, lot more than we than we don't. Uh, but they're not the ones that make noise. I understand that. So when we get something like Monday night, it, it does create a bit of damage to the, uh, the positive direction that we think we're taking overall. You know, we, we've seen improvements in the last few months in the, in the way we use VAR, but, but situations like that obviously uh, don't help. I suppose ultimately you can have VAR forever and and, and it will correct most things in, in the right manner and it will lead to fairer decisions overall. But it still comes down to human decisions, doesn't it? Therefore, you know, what is a clear and obvious mistake to one referee might not be quite so much to another. And it's 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 never going to be perfect, I suppose. No, that's that's really valid that, Gary, because you know, our our sport is um one which does throw up a, a lot of a lot of situations that that split opinion. I mean, you know, there's there's loads of of talk about about situations whether they should or should not have been a penalty. And I, I I've been doing some club visits in the preseason, so I went to see um, Luton. and I went to see Sheffield United. Obviously, new to the to the Premier League, new to VAR at least for, in Luton's case, not having had it before, uh, having not been in the Premier League before. And I showed the players a situation, a penalty from a game at Nottingham Forest last year, uh, and we knew it was one that would split opinion. It was kind of like one of those that, like you know, we thought would go fifty-fifty, and it absolutely did. Fifty percent of the players said that's a penalty, and fifty percent said said it wasn't. Um, so my challenge is, is trying to work out how to use. But surely, Howard, if it's if it's fifty-fifty, you go. If it's a decision like that that you think is going to be fifty-fifty, you stick with the referee's decision on the pitch, a- don't you? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely our philosophy. Because you know, if if, if imagine the penalty is is given and, and you're one of the fifty percent that thinks it's a good decision, and then VAR goes to the screen and overturns it, you're pleasing fifty percent of the people who didn't think it was a penalty. But if you thought it was, then you think VAR is is nonsensical in that situation and the following week it's probably the other the other 50 percent that that feel that way so within three four weeks you know you've kind of like disenfranchised everybody about var we think if we can set expectations around us only intervening when something is clearly wrong and and the skill that we've got to have as vars is recognizing when something is clearly wrong i mean alan you and i have spoken about this about talking about clangers only dealing with clangers monday night was a clanger by the way so even working to that threshold we can still get it wrong because we're working with human beings who are in a pressured situation looking at something knowing that they can't take forever to make a decision uh, and sometimes they just overthink it and uh, and they're trying to be in line with what we're trying to do here not over overly interfering um but sometimes they just miss the miss the mark like like everybody does we, we get it right way more than we get it wrong but of course i know that an error like monday is really impactful you know that's why i wanted to get to gary neil fairly quickly and say gary that's not our standard we we you know we we've got to do better than that uh, in that situation it should have been a pen and the officials aren't working this weekend so we understand there's there's a need for accountability because our errors impact somebody else when we make a mistake it impacts in that case wolves if you're the wolves goalkeeper you make an error you're impacting your own team but our our mistakes impact other people so there's an accountability that we have to show as well while also keeping the uh, the officials confident and uh, and feeling like they're able to make decisions and not not being afraid to do so by by overthinking Howard just a, just a couple of things from that um I'm a huge admirer of you coming out and and having the transparency because we've never had that before and I think we all appreciate and admire that. But two two things from from the other evening is I've read it this week that there's a few people have said now because the the VAR official was less 
senior than the referee on the pitch. Do you do you think that sometimes comes comes into their head that he's slightly afraid to overrule the the, the bigger name referee or the more experienced referee? And secondly, do you do you ever foresee the future and think that there, there is a space for ex-footballers to come in and possibly advise a VAR referee who sat in the hub? Yeah. Um, so uh, on the on the first point about the dynamic between the on-field official and, and the and the VAR, I think that's a valid point. I think that, and particularly when we first started this VAR sort of journey, I, I was out in Major League Soccer um, putting the program in there. So similar sort of challenges. We we face situations where less senior officials sitting in the uh, the VAR chair were kind of reticent to call out an error of a senior colleague who'd uh, who'd been around for a lot longer and was usually refereeing at a higher level. I think that's become less prevalent as we've seen who's good at doing VAR. Some of the less experienced officials are really good at doing VAR and the on-field officials know that. So we've got to a stage now where somebody like Michael Salisbury, who was the VAR on Monday, that was quite an uncharacteristic error by Michael because we've seen time and again him do really well. In fact, some of the things we've played out in the past few months um, have included Michael. The same official at um, Spurs Brighton last season. Yeah, he was. He was. He, uh, he missed the the penalty by uh, by the Spurs lad on Matoma. So he's, he's he's not perfect, but we're using him a lot because we do trust in him. You know, we do believe in him. So and and yeah, everybody's going to make a mistake. And uh, obviously, you know, if he continues making them, there's a there's an issue. But you know, he's made a, he made a couple, but that's outweighed by by the good interventions that he's had. And people do generally know that he's good at what he does. So our job is to pick the the, the best VARs and try to pair them off with the officials who they have a good relationship with. So so it's not a factor as. as you know, we need to minimise that as, as much as much as possible. In terms of ex-players, uh, when I first came into this role in December, I did quite a few interviews. You know, you do the media rounds, and and I actually mentioned about the fact that you know I find it quite incredible that we don't have any ex-players in our group of officials or any players who have played at a at a, at a you know professional level, let's say you know national league or above. Um, I think clearly that tells me that refereeing is not something that players and you guys can, can speak for yourselves, but uh, find find appealing. Um, it's not something you, you'd fancy doing. And, but I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's a way we can change that. And I think we'd really benefit from having some uh, players coming into our our ranks. So it's something we're trying to push. It's on us to do that to make the pathway shorter, to to make refereeing seem more appealing, to find a way of getting to players. Maybe you'll get. Yeah, injured at 23, 24, or coming to their retirement age at 34, 35. But not so much, not so much ex-players in terms of being referees. I'm talking about ex-players to, to be sitting in the VAR hub to actually just lend their yeah. opinion for, for rather than them you clearing the pathway for them to be referees, them to just sit and lend their experience in the VAR hub and sit with the referees. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've, we've already started taking on board expertise from the playing side of the game. So our, our coaching director, for example, is uh, is Wayne Allison, who played many times in the in the football league. So, he, so you know, obviously he brings all of his experience. Uh, we've also got expertise from outside of our sport. Uh, you know, we've got people uh, working with us in the VAR space from, from rugby league. In terms of getting the footballers into the VAR hub on a match day to actually give in-game advice or guidance or, or to steer decisions. That's not possible at the moment. The The only people who can actually make the decisions are the VAR and the AVAR. They're match officials making decisions. We don't have anybody else looking over their shoulder, telling them what to do, what not to do. We don't think that's appropriate. We want the officials to be on the field making decisions and also in the VAR hub as well. And if we had somebody else influencing that decision, that would be... That would be inappropriate, we feel, and, and FIFA feel the same way. 
Um, I'd like to have ex-players, though, assisting us, you know, in our training more and more. So, you know, expanding that that group of uh, experts that are coming in. We've got some football uh, insights experts that have joined our organisation recently. Uh, Chris Kawami has just joined our organisation, for example, as, as one of those those people. We consult a lot with the PFA and the LMA to get some insights from that part of the game, the most important part of the game. Um, if we could have uh, players, ex-players, as VARs, trained as VARs, I would welcome that as an opportunity to look into. At the moment, we're not allowed to do that. They have to be current or former top referees. So the only way we can get them into the chair is to get them onto the field as refs and then get them into, get them into the VAR space. And let's, you know, let's see how they, how they would do. But at the moment, we're restricted to only being able to use refs in that particular role. I just want good people who are able to, who know the game, understand the game, able to recognise clear errors consistently, communicate quickly, work as a team in that space. It's a pressurised environment. It's not just like watching TV at home. Um, there's an awful lot that goes into you know following the process. Make sure you don't miss something. A number of times, you know, you'll see a penalty appeal, and and like the VAR starts looking at that while the game con- the game continues live, and then. Uh, they they form an opinion that they need to intervene. But you've got to remember to check the attacking phase of play because there could be an offside in the build-up. And if you forget to do that, then there's a big problem if there was an offside and you've given a penalty. So there's loads of process that we have to go through. But, but you know, expanding that out to people who've got real lived experience of playing the game, I think, would be, uh, in my opinion, really potentially beneficial if we can get people in through whatever means, then I'd, I'd, I'd welcome a chance to look at that. I, Howard, uh, my question would be in, in terms of, you mentioned that the pressurized situations, but early when VAR started, everyone was saying it was taking too long, but would you rather not take a little bit longer and get the decision right? Um, you're not in the crowd where the crowd are, are looking, you know, when the referee goes to the screen and it can have an effect on how he's, he's, he's feeling in that moment, say you're away at Old Trafford or Man City or any of the, the big clubs, but you said you're in a room, would you rather not just take a little bit more time and get the decision right rather than rushing it and getting it wrong? 100% Micah, we would, I would never want to sacrifice accuracy for, for the sake of speed. Um, if we can get both, then we're in the ideal world. If we're not taking too long and we can be accurate. But I would always say to the, uh, to the guys at work uh, in, the, in the VAR hub, you know, um, do the due diligence that you need to do. You can't take shortcuts. You've got to do it properly. You've got to look at the angles that you need to look at. And, and I don't want them looking at the same angle seven, eight times. That's not something that's clearly wrong if, if they're having to do that. But they might need to look at seven different angles once or twice because it might be the seventh angle that shows you the very clear image that, you know, you guys will show a match of the day because you've got people who are looking for that angle. And, and we have to find that angle in the moment before it's too late, before the game's restarted. So yeah, sometimes they need to do that. One of the things that I think is really beneficial of us going out and showing how the process works is that people understand. They understand the the camera angles that we've got to look at. They understand why it might take a bit of time, why the referee stood on the field with a finger to the rear, not allowing the restart to happen. We want to be as least interfering as we can be. I want as many goals that are scored to be allowed to stand so people can celebrate knowing that there's only a really small chance of that goal being taken away. And if it's allowed to stand, it'll be a good goal. The team that's conceded know it's a fair goal. So we want to be really accurate 100% of the time if that's possible. That's the that's the ambition. But also do it in an efficient way, but never sacrifice the accuracy for the for the speed. And, and by the way, just to dispel another myth as well, when the referee goes to the screen, they can absolutely keep their decision if they, if they, uh, if they want to. Sometimes the VAR gets it wrong. You know, they're sitting in this somewhat sterile environment 
watching a screen from you know some distance away from the smell and the feel and the atmosphere of the game. So therefore, they might recommend a review for the referee to go over and the referee might look at it and say, honestly, I, I don't know what you're seeing, but there's no expectation based on my feeling of what I saw at the time, the feeling I'm getting from the from the players and what I'm seeing now to change that decision. And thanks a lot for, for you know recommending the review, but I'm going to keep, keep my call. Now, it shouldn't happen too often if the VARs are good at recognising clear errors because... Normally, you'd go over and say, yep, that's, uh, that is a clear error. I agree. Uh, and I'm going to change it. But, you know, they are absolutely entitled to keep their decision if they, uh, if they uh, feel that's the right thing to do. In terms of the fans, Howard, there's, there's a feeling um, around the country that sometimes the big clubs, and I think Micah alluded to it slightly, sometimes that the big clubs seem to get their way. Obviously, Manchester United on, on Monday. Um, does, I, I presume you'd absolutely deny there's any truth in that. But that's the, the question that fans would expect me to ask. Yeah, yeah, and there's that there's that perception. Uh, you know, I, I hear it uh, from um, fans I speak to. I hear it on on radio shows that I listen to as I'm driving around, and and uh, and also on podcasts like this. But also when I speak to clubs, you know, I, I sometimes get that that uh, level that is from from clubs that kind of sit outside the traditional top six. I, mean, I, I can I can you know usually what I do I, I end up giving a balanced uh, sort of view you know, with the clubs that I'm visiting to show things that have gone for and against. And honestly speaking, things generally speaking, kind of even out in terms of the things that go for and, and against. I've seen some some you know some situations go for teams that would be considered the uh, the bigger ones and we saw that on Monday night but equally I've seen ones go go in the favour of, of, of teams I remember um, you know we got some criticism last year for uh, there was a really tough weekend you remember the one in February and uh, we had three situations in, in one weekend one was the the Crystal Palace Brighton situation where the lines weren't placed in the right place due to some process uh, errors and we're trying to you know ensure that the process is absolutely embedded with our officials through the increased training the same day Brentford scored against Arsenal, no guard was offside and there was a bit of a complicated check just before that. We were trying to get some lines placed on a possible interfering with the opponent. And then that pressure put pressure on the VAR sped up through the rest of the attacking phase and missed Norgaard coming back from an offside position. Uh, and then also the same day, Chelsea uh, felt they should have had a penalty against West Ham. Uh, I think it was Suchek who went down to his left to try to block a, a shot with his knee and it, and it ended up saving it with his hand. It was a, a good save. But but you know, but so that was two situations that went against, you know, two of what we would consider the uh, the bigger six, if you like, in Chelsea and Arsenal. So, the, you know, the, the stats don't always bear out the perception, but I know the perception exists. And, and again, one of my biggest sort of challenges to try to change the way that, that, that things are perceived, I think. And the more that I can give, you know, real information that I think is insightful and interesting, then, then the better, because I think that, that shows the real picture rather than just what people perceive. Ha- Howard, I know that you yourself or your organisation can't change the laws. You're guided by IFAB. That's correct in what I'm saying, Yes. Yeah, that's right. How how would you personally like to deliver the handball law? Because I I personally feel that's one of the biggest issues in a, in our game, and I think it's most confusing in our in our game, and I think that's where there's a lot of inconsistency in our game, and that's what angers players, fans, managers, coaches. How would you personally like to see the handball law? How would you like to see it delivered? It's a really good question. Uh, and you saw my reaction when you asked the question that handball is the most kind of subjective area, the area where we struggle to get the most consistency. It used to be all right, Howard. It used to be okay. And back in the day, it was used to, you know, used to use a bit of common sense. And if it's, you, you could tell there was an element of it, whether it's deliberate or not. But now it's got so complex, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, and we've seen more changes in this part of the law than anywhere else, Gary. Do you know, I think I think that's the answer. Just just go back to yeah. <laughs> allowing the referee to determine if something 
is a deliberate handball. The difficulty is that obviously in not every handball situation do we see a player moving their hand towards the ball. In fact, it happens rarely, doesn't it? How many times? How many times do defenders truly deliberately handle the ball in the penalty area? Most times, it's it's either um, something they've kind of like they've just flapped it ahead and their arms up, and bizarrely they flick it away with their hand under pressure from an opponent, or they go to block a ball, but they they put their arms out in a position which kind of does increase the the sort of like their their, their body size, uh, and they get an advantage from that because the the uh, the position of the arm blocks the shot even if they were trying to do it with their chest or their leg they get this advantage from the arms being away from the body so they've not gone into that challenge thinking I'm going to try and block this with with my arm you know the, the, the few exceptions would be like the Suarez one in the 2010 World Cup where he flicks it over the bar they're few and far between they're generally trying to get their arms out of the way <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so so I think that's why we've got in the situation where we are the the way that the, the law is written is try to accommodate those situations where players don't mean to do it but they do and they get an advantage from doing it. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to judge because what's natural and what's not natural depends on so many different variables, doesn't it? And and therefore, I think probably the more kind of extreme the arm positions are, the more credible a penalty decision would be. I don't think we can only say we'll penalise only when players deliberately move their hands to the ball because that would leave a lot of situations where you guys, I imagine, would say, yeah, that, that has to be a penalty. Look at the arm position. It's in a really unnatural place. He's got a big advantage from that. So I think going moving a little bit away from where we've, where we've been recently around too many handball penalties being given, we've tried to ease back a little bit in that respect, allowing the referee to make a judgment as to whether the arm position is really un, totally unjustified but I think we're better being in a place where we only penalise when it is totally unjustified. And if it's in the margins, give the benefit of the doubt to the to the defender, unless you see that movement. Um, what I wouldn't want, and I have heard it mentioned, what I wouldn't want is a situation where we penalise every contact with the arm, simply because I just think that players would start to just drive the ball towards players' arms. I, I just think that it would be the target rather than the goal. It's probably easier to hit a player's arm than it is to hit the, uh, the back of the net. So let's drive our, 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 our shot towards or our, our cross towards the defender. And, and then it'd be, it'd be a game of dodgeball, wouldn't it? Howard, I just, I just want to, to, to finish on a, on, a, on a point that I think is very important. Um, I think I've experienced a lot of football inside the stadium with VAR. And from a fan's perspective, you do not know what is going on. All you see is a review of so-and-so and you sit there for two minutes and you wait a decision. When do you think it will come that will... I know it started in, in the Women's World Cup. We've started that, that slight explanation of a decision at the end. But we need to hear the conversation that goes on between the, the referee and the VAR. Like, is, like you get in other sports, cricket, rugby, for example. Is that going to come? Because at the moment, I think it's not fair on the fans, particularly in the stadium. Yeah, and they're the most important fans of all, Gary, aren't they? With respect to the TV audience, the ones who are in the stadium, you know, creating the atmosphere, the ones that you played in front of and I officiated in front of, that give you that great feeling when you walk out at five to three. I, yeah, we need to be better in that respect. And it's not been an easy nut to crack, I think, in trying to work out how to communicate because what's happening at the minute is not enough. You, we need to do more in stadium. Um, so I, I think that what we're seeing down in uh, Australia, New Zealand will expand into some domestic leagues 
as early as the next few weeks. I heard actually only a few a few days ago that it's not only when they go to the screen that they can make the announcement. They're actually now uh, enabled, or towards the back end of the tournament, they uh, allow the officials to, to speak as well when a check is happening before you actually go to the screen. That's when sometimes you stood there with the finger to the ear to say, you know, we are checking for a possible act of violent conduct by number six or a possible offside by 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 number 10 or whatever. So I think that's useful as, as well. Um, I think that's the direction that, most leagues will take. We'll have a conversation with the Premier League and the and any other leagues that take VAR on. I think the Women's Super League might be taking um, the uh, the VAR system on board at some point soon, and the Football League are looking closely at it. the uh, The other aspect is the TV broadcaster. So you know, we, when I was in MLS, we opened up the broadcast, uh, the audio to broadcast uh, for a few games. We were told not to do that by uh, by uh, by FIFA until approval had been given. So we set up a working group, uh, and I'm still on this working group that's looking at how we can do that better because we've got absolutely nothing to hide. You know, we've played it out to the uh, TV uh, audience on on shows on on Sky and on, on other channels as well, and we've also done it to the broadcasters behind the scenes. I know some of you guys have been on those calls where we've played the audio to you so you can hear what's being said. So big fans of opening up as much information as possible. Uh, an, an example of that is we've started now running the, the clock in the stadium beyond 45 and 90 minutes, which is, I think, we're the first league or leagues in the world to do that. We, I, I made a phone call and said, look, this is nonsensical. We're holding up seven minutes on the board. Fans don't know how long beyond 90 minutes has gone. They're whistling from two or three minutes in. Players are asking how long's left. Just show people, you know, let's treat people in the way they deserve to be treated in terms of the information sharing so they can see that we've only played five minutes. We've got another two to go. People understand there's going to be another minute on top of that if we've had a goal or a substitution. So let's just do things right. Let's open up the information and let's you know bring this game kicking and screaming into the uh, 21st century. Well, Howard, thank you very much for talking to us. And this is an exact example of, of how things... Um, can help towards people's understanding of what VAR is and how referees and how difficult it is and communication I think is uh, really important so thank you so much uh, for your time um, Alan and uh, Mike as well thank you and thank um, you. We'll, we'll say goodbye to everyone until um, the next time thanks very much Howard really appreciate it thanks guys great to see you cheers Howard goodbye bye